Hi, everyone, and welcome to Winning as Women on the Compete Network. I'm your host, Jody Geiger, and today we're taking a look back at our favorite moments from season one. Just over a year ago, I was joined by three amazing women for the very first Winning as Women Roundtable. It was such a powerful session, and we loved the theme so much that we decided to make a whole show out of it. Now, with our first season in the books, we want to wrap everything up with a best of episode. And here with me now to go through it all is Ben Ronald, affectionately known as Producer Ben. Welcome, Ben. Hey, Jody. Thanks for having me on the show. We are going to be taking a little trip down memory lane today, and I'm really excited for it. Um, you know, as I was sort of reflecting on all the interviews you did this year, there were a couple of themes that seemed to come up over and over again, and I just had to dive into them uh, for this episode. One of the most common, probably most applicable, most challenging themes that came up was the impossible juggling act that women have to do when it comes to balancing family life and career. Uh, perhaps most especially difficult is figuring out how to keep career momentum going when you're about to take a bunch of months off for mat leave. Which brings us to the first clip that I want to play for you today. This one comes to us from Jen Murtaugh uh, and from episode one. Uh, Jen is the co-founder of Mattern and has some advice for how you can shape what your mat leave looks like. Have a listen. Oh, yeah. I mean, I could probably take over the entire panel on this one. So I'll just <laughs> be brief and touch on one thing. I think if you know you're expecting a baby, whether you're a birthing or a non-birthing mother, you should also know, you know, you get to determine what kind of maternity leave you want. You get to ask for and communicate to your work what's important to you. And you get to have a conversation about that. Uh, you also have the opportunity to receive support. And if your goal is to continue to grow your career as you grow your family, having support on maternity leave is absolutely critical. And, and I can share on my first maternity leave, I really didn't know any better. And I just thought you didn't communicate with work for a year. And I kind of thought that's what I was going to want. And when I was on leave, it was really hard. It was really isolating. I missed my work. I grieved my old self. And I felt shame about that too, because, you know, here I was with this little girl that I really wanted. And I felt really guilty about a lot of the days I would have preferred to be not work. And I came back to work a shell of a human. I lost my confidence. I had forgotten who I was. My second maternity leave, I was smarter. I had the courage to ask for what I wanted, which included a shorter leave, the ability to stay connected to work. I kept my email off open, obviously, with an out of office on, but like just so I could stay updated on, you know, some of those key organizational changes. I had quick quarterly check-ins and I really came back in an entirely different way because I actually felt empowered about my leave. And so I would recommend um, that, you know, women think about that before they go on maternity leave and you get to change your mind as well. You know, you might think you want to stay connected and then when you're off, you might decide, no, I actually don't. I'm, I'm good to come back in closer to my return. But, you know, you get to make those decisions as well. Yeah, I think that's such a powerful clip from Jen. And, you know, I hear, I think being a, a fellow mother, I have so much empathy for what she shared as her experience. And I think it's such a common one. And I think what matters in it most is that you get to choose. And you're empowered to decide what type of 
experience you want to have in terms of a connection back into work. I know for me personally, stepping away for my first maternity leave gave me the space that I had never given myself in, I don't even know, 15 plus years of working straight to step away and focus on something that wasn't work. And I actually found connection with a more creative and down-to-earth and connected part of myself, which led me to actually pursue a totally different course and line of work than I would have. And it was the space. It was the space that allowed me to do that. And for every woman, that experience and that need is likely different. And I think, yeah, it's the takeaway here for me is that you have a voice in this and you get to choose. Why do you think that more women don't understand that they have choice when it comes to mat leave? Why is it that that some might might immediately think, wow, this means I'm completely off the clock for 18 months? And, you know, when Jen speaks speaks about it, it seems so simple, right? Like you actually do have some choice. But I'm curious, what is it what is it that you think it is about mat leave that Um, leaves people feeling like they don't have a choice. I think it's, it's one of the things that you, you're not even considering (laughs) at first. There's so much anxiety and newness going on and thinking about, I'm going to have, my family is changing. I am changing. uh, My whole world is changing that you're not so much planning for the, you know, what it means for you to step into that new identity where you're not working. I think you're, and in so, in so many ways too, it's a privilege in Canada to be able to have that, that time. And, you know, in other places of the world that maternity leave isn't as long. And even in Canada, you know, your, your earning potential in most companies isn't the same as it is when you're working full time. And so, I just want to recognize it's not the same for everyone and being able to, again, make that right choice for you and your family, I think matters most. Uh, But I think it's the anxiety. You have anxiety and worries about what type, you know, what's happening to my body and is my baby going to be healthy and what's my relationship going to be like, let alone thinking about, oh my gosh, I've had this whole identity as this working human. And I'm now going to press pause on that and step away. Who am I? And so the last thing you're thinking about, oh, is I have agency, you know, in the way that I take my maternity leave. I think it's one of those things that A, people aren't talking about and B, you're not thinking about because you don't have the, you know, that hindsight experience where, you know, when Jen says she's come back into um, the second time around and she's more informed. I echo that and I know that experience. You just don't know what you don't know. And because it's not talked about, it's just not one of those things that you're you're thinking about and planning for. You really kind of set off a light bulb in my head there, Jody, when you were talking about how Matt Leave for you actually opened up some some doors for new creativity and, and new clarity on things. And I think that that can really be so powerful. Um, and in the next clip that I want to play for you today, uh, Simran Kang actually talks about how, you know, clarity doesn't just have to happen on mat leave. Just by stepping away from your work uh, and giving yourself a little space, that can really help you show up better for others, uh, whether that be your family, your friends, or your coworkers. Um, this is from episode two, Simran Kang. She's the CEO and co-founder of MyFoTech. 
And she says that taking time off for yourself is actually an essential part of being able to show up for others. So let's have a listen to that clip. Yeah, I think mine, we don't have kids yet. So, but a lot of like, I, I left like a corporate job where I felt like I had kind of dialed it in because I had been there for so long with work-life balance. And for me, it wasn't the hours I was working, but it was more the I could mentally shut off when I was at a company. And it was, I think in the beginning, like, like I met my partner six months before I started this business. And then I started it and it's like, okay, well, he sees me. I would go run along the seawall and cry, right? Because <laughs> I'm like, what am I doing? I left my job. This is way harder than I thought it was going to be. And we would have plans. And I was like, no, somebody's, I got I have to work. I would drop everything anytime something happened. And everything felt like an emergency in the beginning. And I've slowly had to learn to be to pick and choose and carve out time for myself and carve out time for my family. Because that's what, you know, what Devin was talking about too, is like, I'm a much better performer at work and with my work when I have that time to decompress and to like, just like sometimes the best ideas for a problem come to me when I step away from it, right? And so just realizing that it's okay for me to take some time off and it's okay for me to spend time, it's actually much better that I do that. It's much better for my company and my people if I do that than if I just am constantly drained by work. Okay, so Simran, being a founder of a tech company, there's a lot of skin that you have in that game as a founder and a lot of responsibility uh, to be able to respond and put all of yourself into the work that you're doing. And what this makes me think of, and, and even hearing her running on the, the seawall, the uh, running path in Vancouver, and crying, I'm hearing so much weight she's putting on herself uh, to take on that responsibility of launching this business. And what it makes me wonder about is role modeling and how she's showing her team and her business partner, this is the standard. You know, we work always, we think always about work, we don't take time to step away. Uh, and for others in that organization, um, to be able to rest and reset, it makes me think, you know, what she came to in, in her clip said, taking time off for yourself is actually an essential part of being able to show up for others. And, you know, I've incorporated that in my work life recently with the most simple thing. But every day at 12, I stop what I'm doing and I go for a 30 minute walk and I don't look at my phone. And guess what? I come back clearer, uh, more focused, and I'm able to show up for my team. Um, it's such a simple thing, but it's, it's, it's worth repeating over and over again because we really, it's easy to get stuck in the trap of, of feeling like you're too busy. And, it is true that there are times when work does feel just all consuming. You're going to have busy times at work. There's busy cycles at work and it's kind of unavoidable. Um, and that can really cause tension with your people at work or your, or your people at home. And that's actually something that this next clip I'm going to play you talks to. So Devin Brooks, she's the CEO at Sphere. And she said that there's one way where you can mitigate some of that potential tension between work and relationship in those moments when things get really busy by just proactively sharing ahead of time and saying, look, I'm going to be busy for a little bit. And that's a real thing. Uh, so I, let's play the clip. Let's listen to it now. And then we'll come back and talk about it a bit. I, and I'm not sure if anyone's had 
this experience. But what I've found really helpful, both for myself and others, is calling out periods of time. So Jen talked about, you know, this week will be a really heavy week. And, you know, in launch life or startup life, sometimes you're going through a raise or you're, you know, you're doing a 90 day roll into a big product launch. And so it's quite interesting because when we really love our work, everything we do can feel the most important all the time, which also is unkind and not fair to the rest of the household. So it's like it has been such an opportunity to really identify where are the moments or the periods of time where you're really saying, hey, team, you know, whoever, whether you have a partner or not, whoever else is in your household that can support you. And, you know, this is what's going on for me. I'm going into an X day circuit where my needs are going to be this. I'm not going to be super communicative or this is what I'm going to find challenging. I need support in this way. And then you've got to be prepared to offer the same and support in the same way in return for whoever you're asking that from. So there can be just a lovely harmony and sort of dense, if you will, of supporting each other and through, yeah, really intense times of creation or launch or push. You know, when you're birthing things at work, not just at home, you need support. Devin, what a powerhouse human. She's just so inspiring when she speaks. I'm like, yes, it's that and that. (laughs) Uh, But something that stood out for me here is what I loved was the voicing your needs part. And I think what maybe she didn't touch on there is that you have to have awareness to your needs to be able to voice them and be able to predict uh, the rhythm or the flow that you're in within your work, let alone your home life. Uh, and that in itself is uh, is such a, a boss move, being able to understand what phase you're in or what stage you're in, and then communicate and ask for that and also have the reciprocity to support your partner in that way. I think there's a lot of vulnerability required in that. And uh, yeah, authenticity. Well, I'm glad you said both vulnerability and authenticity, because after the break, we're going to talk about the second big theme that came up in season one of Winning as Women. We'll be right back after this. The way the market looks today is not how it was yesterday. And spoiler alert, it'll be different tomorrow too. Hi, I'm Devin O'Rourke, founder and managing partner at Fluvio and the host of the Embracing Erosion podcast. On my show, we talk to product marketers, founders, investors, and go-to-market leaders to shine a light on what it takes to tackle difficult go-to-market challenges. How do you make decisions with speed and effectiveness? What makes for a great leader? And what are the most common go-to-market mistakes and how can you avoid them? Embracing erosion means embracing change, and you'll hear from some of the best in the business who know firsthand why embracing erosion is key to success. Join me, Devin O'Rourke, on the Embracing Erosion podcast, powered by the Compete Network. Okay, Ben, so balancing home life with career life was one big theme. What else did our guests seem to love talking about this season? Well, as you know, Jody, our guests are all professional sellers uh, who've spent a lot of time honing their craft and nurturing their careers. 
Uh, and one common trait that came up when discussing how to show up powerfully as a professional, but I think as a, as a seller specifically, is authenticity. And in order to get to a place of authenticity, you have to be okay with being vulnerable. Vulnerability is the second theme of the season, and it came up a few different times in a few different flavors, including this clip from episode three with Michelle Peach, the founding partner at Minnow Light Consulting, where she talks about overcoming her fear of posting on LinkedIn. It's extremely uncomfortable doing things that you're not used to doing. So for me, I personally hated networking. Posting on LinkedIn gives me so much anxiety. Responding to individuals that I don't know who they are, but they're interested in speaking. And that was those were things that I just never cared to do because I was just more in panic mode, more specifically posting on LinkedIn. And at Dooley, they always asked me to post and eventually they hired a ghostwriter to do all my posting on LinkedIn. That's a little secret. The last post that I've posted over the last year, it was not me <laughs> um, because I the idea of actually hitting post literally put me in a panic mode because I always thought maybe I, no one's going to like this. People might make mean comments or just think it's stupid. Anyways, realize very quickly that you need to network and you need to do that. You need to really put yourself in that uncomfortable position in order to be successful. So over the last few weeks, we have put ourselves out there. We've gotten very uncomfortable going to networking events, taking all of the calls, and it's really starting to pay off. You know, we're starting to see very early success early on, but a lot of learnings, a lot of learnings of just getting out there and getting uncomfortable. So Ben, what I take out of Michelle sharing her fear around posting on LinkedIn is the message we have to put ourselves out there and putting ourselves out there it's uncomfortable it is not pleasant you feel fearful and yet it's a requirement yeah i mean social media just happens to be the channel uh that michelle talked about but really it's applicable to to anything you do and you know to put it kind of crudely you know putting yourself through that that sort of pain of getting over the discomfort of being out there, that is how you grow. And you can only get stronger by putting yourself out there like that. Um, you know, I know personally, it's only been in the last two years or so where I've really forced myself to post on LinkedIn. And like, guess what? It's still not easy. It's still not particularly fun. Every time you click that post button, you're really putting yourself out there. But I don't know, Michelle's episode I thought was so great. And for her, making such a big change in her career, um, vulnerability must come up daily for her uh, and myself as well. Jody, where do you stand on posting on LinkedIn? <laughs> oh, Ben, I am terrified of it constantly. And I, well, you know what? I'm actually moving through. I think I'm no longer terrified. That actually didn't ring true for me when I said it. I think where I'm at now with it is building a habit. I think I'm less terrified. I'm more confident about what I want to say and the type of uh, folks that would be interested in what I'd have to say. And I'm, it's more building the habit around it. Um, something, though, about Michelle's episode is I've heard from a lot of other uh, leaders out there, be it enablement leaders or sales leaders, and they all commented on the brave way Michelle spoke about her fears that there is just this openness to this is what I'm struggling with. This is what I'm afraid of. And, and here it is. It's all out on the table. And so it's amazing how she speaks about fear. And yet in speaking about fear, she's not coming across as fearful. 
And that just, to me, there's an internal dialogue we all have uh, and how, how much uh, community can come from actually voicing or putting some light on those dark places within each of us. No, totally. And, you know, that's part of the reason why vulnerability came up a few times, I think. And I'm, I'm happy that we seem to be at a place increasingly where we can talk about being vulnerable in different aspects of our professional and personal lives. Uh, and the next clip we're going to play you is from Jordana Zeldin. She's the co-founder at the Practice Lab. Uh, and so she talks about vulnerability in a slightly different context. Uh, Jordana is a sales coach. Uh, and as we mentioned before, authenticity and vulnerability seem to be two key traits of a good seller. So naturally, Jordana coaches her clients to do the same. But as you'll hear in the clip, Jordana realized that even though she was preaching vulnerability, she wasn't necessarily doing it herself. So let's take a listen to that. But it's so interesting, too, because like when Jonathan, my co-founder, Jonathan, and I started the practice lab, like I felt pretty clear that he was the avatar for the learner because he was a, a you know a full cycle rep and someone needed to be the expert and so for the first couple cohorts like i felt the need to be the the quote unquote expert well he played the avatar and you know the, the the longer that we did this the more i realized that if i was you know peddling or or encouraging the the kind of vulnerability that we encourage in the community that's required like i needed to 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 kind of drop that front you know and now what's been so exciting is now that we're actively also now sellers ourselves selling the practice lab, like I get to report my wins and losses and at bats and failures and, you know, awkwardness and triumphs in the community along with everybody else. And I think everybody actually feels better for it. And I feel better not having to feel like there's the pressure for me to be the expert in the room. Yes. I think the thing that stood out to me in Jordana's clip was this this belief that we all hold that I have to be an expert and how being an expert, I mean, who likes experts out there? You know, raise your hand. <laughs> you know, there's, what are the things that we actually know? I mean, sure, maybe taxes and death or medicine, you want someone who's <laughs> extremely scientific and precise. Um, but for most of us, we want to we wanna talk to real humans. We want uh, someone who has made mistakes before and creates space for us to be ourselves. And I think we just put so much pressure on ourselves to show up as these experts. And we, in doing so, we create distance between, um, between one another. And I think just dropping our, that front or dropping the mask and showing up as a, a perpetual learner, not an expert, that not only models the vulnerability, but I think creates the space for others to show up uh, in, in their, you know, messy, messy middles, not their perfected finished states. Totally. And I mean, you know, Jody, I'm not a seller, um, but it occurs to me that there is probably nothing more vulnerability inducing than facing up to your performance as a seller, uh, specifically facing up to your losses. Um, but if we don't learn from our losses, how can we ever expect to improve? So in the spirit of vulnerability, uh, the next clip I want to play for you is from episode seven. It's with uh, sales managers at Clue, Aaron Neal and Lee Quinlan. And in this clip, Jody, you asked them, to relive their most painful losses as sellers. What is the worst loss that you still remember? Oh, tell me the deets. 
Well, I, that one's an easy one for me. Um, we were a vendor of choice for a long, long, long time and then kept, you know, getting the reassurance from that champion. But six months in, they completely dropped us and went with our competitor due to cost because the, the vendor was, you know, 25% of the cost. And it hurt. It hurt bad because it was a big, big partnership, big deal. Um, but the silver lining here is that per- that uh, partners le- has left the, uh, that competitor and is most likely moving to us soon. So that's uh, the silver lining. Was there anything like upon reflecting back um, in some of the, the tactics that we've talked about here that you think yep. you could have um, dug into a bit more? It, it was a sell high. I was too single threaded. And um, also, uh, once you get that vendor of choice, this actually happened to one of my reps last month. You kind of are like, okay, we're vendor of choice, but that can change, right? So you need to reconfirm that vendor of choice um, and uh, make sure that you're not single threaded, i.e. you have more senior or other people on the team involved in the project so that it can't die on on one person's uh, desk. I'm curious on yours. Oh, the one that got away, the one that still keeps me up at night. (laughs) Um, It was an absolute dog fight. Like, I was, it was a really intense head to head. Um, it felt like I, I had done all of the things, um, and they ended up choosing, uh, another vendor. And when I went back through that deal, what I had realized is I hadn't set the foundation at the very beginning. And so what ended up happening was I was just throwing spaghetti at the wall. I was identifying and, and, and helping them solve problems. But my competitor was was helping them throughout the sales cycle solve that number one problem and that number one challenge, and they kept coming back to that. Um, and so that the, my miss in that deal was not setting that foundation and really, really understanding what that number one challenge and pain was, but trying to tackle all of it at once. Um, so it felt like I was doing a lot of work, but my energy and my effort was everywhere and not in the one place it needed to be. And my competitor did that better than me. Um, and they ended up winning. Jody, like I said before, I'm not a seller, but it seems to me that as a seller, sharing losses in the same way that Aaron and Lee did seems like it's a really important point uh, for coaching and improving as a seller. Am I on the right path there? Tell me why it's important to share losses like uh, Aaron and Lee did so vulnerably. I think if we don't talk about our losses and we don't talk about our wins, we don't learn. You know, we can, it's very easy to assume. And if you look at any CRM system out there, you know, the reason we win, (laughs) the reason we win is always because I'm an amazing seller. And the reason, you know, we lose is because there's something wrong with the product or the price, right? And I think that there's, there's so much more nuance to that. And there's, again, it's just the, the community that can be created from leaning into those, the losses. I mean, that's that's the best word for it. It's it's what did I do this time that if I could rewind the clock and do it again, what would I do differently? And maybe what is my peer doing that's, you know, doesn't seem to have that same issue? What are they doing? And it's often subtle tweaks that we can make, but we don't learn what those are unless we're talking about them. And also, I mean, let alone the flywheel of our uh, product development cycles and our, you know, just business commercial go to market cycles. If we're not talking about these things and airing um, with one another what it is that we're winning and losing um, on or about, we don't know how to improve as an organization. 
when I ask you what's the most painful loss you've had as a seller, what's the first story that comes up? You know what? It's actually, um, ironically, not a loss. <laughs> it's actually my biggest win. And what was the loss in it was that we worked really hard, sold this massive deal, and we actually couldn't deliver on it. It cost the organization so much money to figure out how we were going to make this successful. And because the deal was so big, crossing so many different departments at the organization we sold it into, they also weren't prepared to manage it. And so watching that deal uh, you know, come in and after I think the three-year mark, we're still not seeing um, full adoption and then watching it churn out, that was the most painful loss I've had. And also biggest learning I've had, you know, it, it taught me to lean a little bit more into uh, land and expand than it did just the big bang um, deal chasing that I think I was more inclined to want to do. Well, Jody, with that, that was your look back at some of our favorite moments from season one. Um, honestly, Jody, it's been such a blast getting to be part of the show. Thanks for letting me play host today. Um, and I can't wait for season two to get going. Me too. We've already got season two in the works. We're going to be talking to more great sellers, coaches, and particularly enablement leaders to deep dive into how they unlock their best selves as sellers and humans. And what do they do to coach and enable the sellers around them? And of course, we will be asking them what winning means to them. I'm glad you mentioned that last part, Jody, because our listeners will likely remember from episodes three and five when Michelle and Jordana shared how they're defining winning today. But we actually didn't get a chance to ask our other guests what that definition is, did we? No, uh, but we got to reach up to some of our old friends and ask them to share what winning means to them. And we'll leave you with their answers to close out this episode. And we look forward to seeing you for season two of Winning as Women. I'd say winning to me, it comes from inside around happiness of what you were looking to achieve. So winning can mean a lot of things. It can mean the simple things of beating that competitor in that deal. It could be making that dinner that you didn't want to make instead of ordering. But for me, winning, it really ultimately comes down to achieving what you want, what, what you wanted the outcome to be. That, that is winning. And that outcome can be literally anything. Winning to me right now is resilience. The resilience my team displays by elevating daily and continuing to focus on what's in their control and resilience in myself. I'm confident that each and every one of us can handle anything that's thrown our way, and that's a huge win. For me, winning as a woman means living life on your own terms. Most women were raised in a world where they were told to behave a certain way and follow particular paths in life. Every woman should live life the way she imagines it for herself, whether that's running a multinational corporation, entering politics, starting a business, or being a full-time mom. Winning is not worrying about what other people think or expect of you. It also means dropping the expectations of having to do it all. Do it the way you imagine it for yourself and do it in a way that makes you happy. Don't live life on anyone else's terms or try to live up to anyone else's expectations and absolutely try things that people tell you that you're not allowed to do. What is winning to me? Winning has to answer a few questions. One is, am I in alignment with my core values? Am I acting from a place of integrity, my own truth? The second question is, 
Am I being of the deepest service and does my work have meaning and is making an impact? The third question is, am I taking care of my own needs? Because I think as mothers and as women, due to the patriarchy, so much of our value has been accessed through our ability to give. And in that narrative, we forget to give to ourselves and how important that is for our self-preservation, our own happiness and our right to have joy in our lives. And so when I can answer all yeses to those questions, I feel like I am winning in life.